All right, good morning. One person uh, I read, they used to every morning get up and the first thought that came through their mind is, could this be the day? Could this be the day? And I hope that we all have reigning in our hearts and minds with anticipation the day that our Lord is going to return. It's an important, it's a healthy part of our Christian walk to to live in anticipation of Christ's return. We're in the book of Revelation. Uh, We're in an important book. And by the way, there's not all churches are teaching the book of Revelation. Some of them even stay away from it because for some it's a controversial book. To me, it's like any other book out of the Bible. It's important for us to know the truths that we find in the book of Revelation. It will help govern our lives as Christians because if you are living with anticipation of Christ's return, it's going to have a holy effect upon your life. It's going to cause you as a Christian to want to desire to be ready in that moment of our Lord's return. And so I hope that that's the effect that it's having on you. It's having it on me as I have to study each week and prepare to bring this word to you. We're going to continue on in the uh, book of Revelation in chapter 17 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 7 to 18. I titled this morning's message, The Mystery Revealed. Now, if you weren't here last week, We talked about Babylon. We talked about some things that um, needed some explanation. And I said to everyone last week, if you want to hear what the mystery is revealed, you have to come today. And so here you are, those of you that have come. But in Revelation chapter 16, a chapter we've already gone through, uh, we ended the third set of judgments. Uh, that are referred to as the bowl judgments or the bowls of wrath, we might call them. The end of the tribulation period by Revelation chapter 16, the end of the tribulation period is in sight. It's coming and it is at a close, coming to a close by chapter 16. In Revelation chapter 17 and 18, which we've been in chapter 17 last week and today, and then we'll get into 18, they're both, again, parenthetical chapters, meaning that in the narrative, as we're going through chronologically through the book of Revelation, there are points at which there are these parenthetical chapters that insert some information, some details, if we could say, of an important truth. And in this particular uh, section, two whole chapters that are attributed to it, we're talking about great Babylon and the destruction of Babylon to come. The next main event that follows is going to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. So chronologically in your Bible, When you finish uh, chapter 16, you could jump over to Revelation chapter 19, and it's going to be the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ returning to this earth at the end. 
We know that before that day comes, and what we're in in these two chapters, we know that Babylon, mystery Babylon, Babylon the Great, that it must be judged by God. God will bring it to destruction, never to rise again. Now, I shared last week that Satan's seat, Satan's seat started in ancient Babylon. We read about that a little bit from uh, the book of Genesis in chapter 10 and 11, but it began there in ancient Babylon on the Euphrates River. We come to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and here we see that it is going to be Satan's capital city, again, in Babylon on the Euphrates River in the end times. So how important is Babylon and her destruction to God? Well, we know that within the book of Revelation that one in ten verses has some reference to Babylon. Pretty important. As, as a matter of fact, it's the second most mentioned name, place name, for a city in the Bible next to Jerusalem. So in God's perspective, Babylon, this great city as it's referred to of Babylon, that it must be destroyed, it will come to an end, and God will do that. By this time, the kings of the earth, and I'll also say the inhabitants of the earth, remember that the inhabitants of the earth during the tribulation period are going to be those that don't know Christ, or at least starting out, because I believe the church is going to be raptured, we're going to be with the Lord, and then there's going to be the earth dwellers. They're going to be those that are the inhabitants of the earth that don't know Christ. And by the end of the tribulation period, though there will be many who will receive Christ during the tribulation period, there are going to be many of the earth and the inhabitants of the earth that are going to be seduced. They're going to be taken over, we could say, by the spiritual adultery of the harlot there in Babylon. And so we're entering into this second half of chapter 17 this morning, but I want to start by reading the first six verses to keep the context from last week. Look at your Bibles, chapter 17, verse 1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, talked to John, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he, that he is the angel, carried John away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman, John says, sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy. This scarlet beast, we're told, had seven heads and ten horns. 
The woman, which I believe is Babylon here, the woman was also arrayed in purple and scarlet. And she was adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman, John says, he saw this great prostitute that was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. We finished last week in verse 7, and I simply read it leading into today's message. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel, John? I will tell you the mystery, or maybe we could put it this way. I will interpret for you, John, the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and ten horns. And so this morning, our message title, The Mystery Revealed. Some have interpreted the woman as being the Roman Catholic Church. Some say it's the Vatican. Others say that she's the apostate Christians. And still others say it's the United States of America. Others say it's New York. Some say that it's the American financial system. Some say it's Wall Street. The interpretations are many. But even the preterists and those that believe in replacement theology, that the church has replaced the nation of Israel and the promises to them, Many of them believe that Babylon as a city is the city in Jerusalem and that it was actually destroyed, and it was in 70 AD. And so you have various interpretations of this. But I want you to notice that verse 7, it starts with the word but. And that's because John has this great amazement in verse 6. When he saw her, I marveled with great amazement. And then we go into verse 7. But the angel said to me, why do you marvel, John? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Have you ever read a good mystery novel. I don't think I've read too many, but some do like to read a good mystery novel. And it's one of those books that it kind of keeps you guessing all the way through it. It keeps you wondering all the way through it, what's going to happen? What's going to be revealed in the end? Who did it? But that's not God's intention here when he uses the word mystery in the Bible. Mysteries in the Bible 
are not to conceal something, but to make something known, to reveal something to you and I that's important for us to understand. You see, a mystery, by all definition, is something which is unknowable by man, unless it's revealed by God. God reveals his mysteries to those who know him. To those who don't know him, they quite often, they're blinded to these things. But mysteries to those who know the Lord, he reveals these things to us because they're important truths. And actually this word mystery or mysteries plural, we find it quite often throughout the New Testament and it denotes not something that's mysterious or something that can't be made known, but something that can be made known and that can be comprehended, that we can grab hold of it. And so if you want to do a study on that, you can go through the Bible and you can find 27 times that the word mystery or mysteries is used. And four of those times we find in the book of Revelation. The first time that we saw this word mystery, we have to go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 20, where Jesus revealed a mystery to John. Look at your Bibles. It says, the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. He says, the seven stars that you saw in my right hand are the angels. Okay, very clear. The seven stars are the angels or they're the messengers or we might even say the pastors of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches and those were literal churches in Asia Minor in John's day. And so Jesus here, he reveals this mystery to John about the seven stars and the seven golden candle lampstands. Very clear, makes it very clear who he's speaking of. The second time we see this word is in Revelation chapter 10, verse 7. We read, when the seventh angel blew his trumpet, that God would fully reveal his mystery concerning the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of Christ. And so this mystery would be finished. God would have no more to reveal about the kingdoms of the world, that we would know that the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our Christ, and that Christ is going to reign, and we know for a thousand years, and you and I reigning with him, following the seven-year tribulation period, there's going to be a millennial kingdom, a thousand-year reign, where we will reign with him forever and ever. And now in chapter 17, we see this word mystery two times, twice. But let me explain to you even a little further. A mystery from God can be made known only by divine revelation. As I said, somebody that doesn't know the Lord is not going to receive these mysteries from the Lord. It comes by way of divine revelation from God. 
He makes it known in a manner, but also in a perfect time that he would reveal a particular mystery. Not all mysteries were known in the Old Testament, but they were revealed in the New. And so mysteries began to unfold. And we see that throughout even the New Testament. But it's the Holy Spirit of God that illuminates truth to you and I. Are you aware of that? When you pick up the Word of God, even whilst I'm teaching, when you're reading your Word, that it's the Holy Spirit of God that opens your understanding to truth. He illuminates the Word of God so that you can have understanding of what it's saying. It's divine. It's from God. And so that's important for us to know. You're reading of these mysteries. And as a child of God, God says, I want you to understand this particular mystery. There are two mysteries in this chapter that the angel wants to make known to John. First is the woman and her judgment. And then it's the beast that has the seven heads and the ten horns. And so this first mystery that concerns the woman, we learned last Sunday, according to verse 18, that this great city Babylon, which is also called the great harlot, has been seducing kingdoms and kings and whole nations going all the way back to ancient Babylon. This isn't anything new. All the cults and all the religions of the world, they all stemmed and they all came from Genesis 10 and 11 at Babel. And even out of that, the religions of the world have come forth. Whole nations of people. I want you to wrap your head around this. Whole nations of people going all the way back to ancient Babylon have fallen to her wickedness. And it's drawn people away. These false religions have drawn people away from the living God. These false religions have become intoxicated, excuse me, intoxicating to this world, to the inhabitants of this world. And can you see why this is such an important part at the book of Revelation for this to come to an end? Those that the world should have been worshiping as God. The God that created the heavens and the earth. And yet they've been seduced into following after these false religions. Did you know that 1.9 billion people, that's with a B, 1.9 billion people follow the religion of Islam. One point one six billion people follow the religion of Hinduism. Five hundred and six million people follow Buddhism. Almost sixty percent of the world population today is following after a false god. More than that, actually. And if you're curious to know where Christianity falls in this, Christianity, it's estimated, encompasses 2.38 billion people. And we'll put quote marks on that because God is the one who knows who the true believers are. But 
if you think about that 60% and you think that Christianity encompasses 31% of the world, even if that's an accurate number, and then you throw in the last 9%, which are all the other sects and cults and all the, the various things that are out there that, that bring this world over 7 billion people. And you think about the deception that has come upon this earth, that has drawn people away. Whole nations, kings that have led their nation in the way of Islam, that says if you're a Christian, you'll, you'll die for your faith if you follow after that. During this seven-year tribulation period, after the church has been raptured, the remaining false church will be taken in by her religious seduction. Babylon, the harlot, the prostitute. Remember that no true church influence is gonna be here during the tribulation period. Can you imagine what this world will look like? What it'll behave like? What it'll be like when the church is removed? The true church is removed. And what's left is this false church, this one world religious system that will be prominent throughout the tribulation period. Can you imagine what it'll be like during this time when God's people are no longer here? The other mystery that we find in verse 7 is the beast that carries the harlot that has seven heads and ten horns. We learned last week that the beast is another name for the Antichrist that we also read about. Some say the Antichrist, and again, these are ways and things that you read and things that you hear and things that sometimes confuse even Christians as they're reading their Bibles. They say that the Antichrist is the Pope. He's the papacy of the, the Catholic Church. They, some people believe that he is a person of Caesar Nero or Nimrod in Babylon or the Pharaoh of Egypt that we read about or Herod the Great or Judas Iscariot or King Nebuchadnezzar, or Antichus Epiphanes. And some have even said President Obama. Some have said President Bush. If you want to go on and you want to figure out who the Antichrist is, and you go on, you're going to find a whole list of names of people trying to identify the Antichrist. I think that if you look at the characteristics of all of those individuals that I read and many more, you might find some characteristics that are similar to the Antichrist. That they did things against God and against God's people that you might think, is this going to be like a reincarnated Nero or a Judas Iscariot? But I don't think that it's our job to identify Leave that to God, to leave that identity of the Antichrist 
It'll be revealed during the tribulation period, but we won't be here. And because God didn't tell us, he didn't specifically tell us who the Antichrist is, are you okay with that? That's my question to all of us. Are you okay with not knowing the identity of the Antichrist? I'm okay with it. And if God wanted us to know, he would have told us. So all I know is that Antichrist is coming. In the same way, or in the same thing that people try to set dates, don't they, for Christ's return? Have you ever read any of those dates? People try to set dates for the return of Jesus Christ, yet Jesus says that no one knows the day or the hour. And you know what? As soon as Jesus says no one knows the day or the hour, you know what people do? They try to set a date. They try to do opposite of what he said. They try to set a date. They try to calculate it. They try to pick a date. And let me ask you again. Are you okay with not knowing the date? Not knowing the day or the hour of his return? I'm okay with it. I just know that he's coming back and I need to be watching and I need to be ready for his return. The beast, whom the Bible calls the Antichrist, is also called in Scripture the man of sin. He's referred to that in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. He's referred to as the lawless one also in 2 Thessalonians 2.8. He's referred to as the son of perdition in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. He's referred to as the little horn in Daniel 7, 8. And also the prince that shall come in Daniel 9, 26. Various names that have been given to the Antichrist that are descriptive names of who this man will be. But listen to how Paul, the Apostle Paul, described the Antichrist in the, his letter to the church at Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. If you turn there in your Bibles, it's better if you follow along with me. He says, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us as though the day of the Lord had come. The early church at Thessalonica was concerned that maybe the Lord had already come back. And Paul was wanting to reassure them that he had not come back yet. Let no one deceive you, verse 3, by any means. So keep that word deception in mind. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. Again, I'll throw out with not much explanation. Some view this as the church falling away. Some review, uh, look at this as the rapture of the church. Two different viewpoints there. But it does say, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And then what does it say? And the man of sin is revealed. So we know that the man of sin, the Antichrist, will not revealed until, I believe, the church is removed the son of perdition it goes on to call him 
who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship so that he sits as God in the temple of God showing himself that he is God that's in the middle of the tribulation period Paul is speaking future of something that is not going to come to pass until the middle mark of the tribulation period he says do you not remember that when I was still with you I told you these things and now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. The mystery of lawlessness, there's that word mystery again, is already at work. Only he who now restrains, and notice in your Bible, if you're looking at it, it's capitalized, isn't it? Only now he capitalized who now restrains will do so until he capitalized is taken out of the way. So what I believe this is speaking of is the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells inside of each of you as a child of God. That spirit that dwells in you, the church, is going to be removed. Until it be taken out of the way, until we're removed, until we're taken from this earth to be with the Lord, the Antichrist, the lawless one, will not yet be revealed. It goes on to say, and then the lawless one, there's a name for him again, will be revealed and the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's going to happen at the Revelation 19. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception, we're told, among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and they all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Paul says, I shared these things when I first came into Thessalonica and you got saved. I told you about these things. Did you know that the book of Thessalonians was one of the earlier writings of the Apostle Paul? He's telling them things concerning end times. First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, if you read those books, much about end times in those two letters. Now let's look at verse 8. The angel says to John, the beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit here is the Greek word abyss, which is the abode of the dead. And so the beast, he's going to ascend out of the bottomless pit and then he's going to go to perdition. And that word perdition means he's going to go to destruction. And remember, we read that already in, in 2 Thessalonians 2.3. He's the son of perdition, the son of destruction. That will be his end. The first half of this verse simply describes the Antichrist, his beginning and what his end will be. The beginning and the end. The beast, we, we read here, that you saw it says was the beast that you saw was and so if we go back to chapter 13 of revelation john saw this beast rising from the sea we read then i stood on the sand of the sea 
And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns are ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And so the beast, John, that you saw was. In the beginning, the Antichrist will rise to power. He's going to uh, come on the scene, we might say, as a great politician. He might even be a, one of a military power. He might be something of a military force or a leader. But he's going to first come on the scene, according to Daniel 9.27, as a man of peace. And by the middle of the tribulation period, he's going to change his tune. He's going to set up his image in the temple. He's going to demand that the earth dwellers at that time worship him as God, including the Jews that are there in Jerusalem. It's very probable that by the middle of the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to be completely overtaken by a demonic spirit. That he's going to be controlled by Satan himself. Do you remember Judas Iscariot? Why some people think, is he the reincarnated Antichrist? Remember on the night that he betrayed Jesus, it says Satan entered into him. The Antichrist is going to be controlled and led and empowered by Satan himself. In Revelation 13, 2, we read, Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, speaking, I believe, of the Grecian Empire. His feet were like the feet of a bear, speaking of the Persian Empire. His mouth like the mouth of a lion, speaking of the Babylonian Empire. The dragon, which is a name for Satan, we're told, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And so, like all of the empires that oppressed Israel in all of history, past history, throughout all the centuries, the Antichrist will be Israel's greatest enemy in the end times. In that seven-year tribulation period, he is going to be on an all-out attack against the nation of Israel. We read in, also in verse 8 that the beast that you saw, John, was, and then he says, and is not. And so we read, if we go back to chapter 11, of Revelation, we read about the two witnesses. Remember that? The two witnesses that God is going to raise up to evangelize during the first half of the tribulation period. These are going to be witnesses of God. God's going to give them special power to perform judgment against anyone who would want to harm them. They're going to be hated, we're told, by many. And can you even imagine what it'd be like to be two witnesses during the tribulation period? Church is gone. You're two witnesses out there witnessing to this ungodly world. These two witnesses were told that the beast who will be in Jerusalem at the time, where these two witnesses will be ministering from, that they're going to be at that time, uh, the beast is going to come and kill the two witnesses. 
And we know that possibly during this time that there's going to be some of Israel's enemies, other nations possibly, that are not going to be in agreement with the beast. Remember, these seven heads and, and, and ten horns are going to be these nations that are going to be aligned in the last days. But these uh, other nations, it appears, there's going to be some of them that will not be in agreement with the beast. There are some that have speculated, and I'll call it speculation, because we don't know for sure, but the Antichrist is going to receive, and this is what we do know, a mortal wound. The Antichrist is going to receive this mortal wound, possibly maybe in a battle, maybe something that's going on there in Jerusalem, I believe, in the middle of the tribulation period. Revelation 13, 3 reads, And I saw one of the head, his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. You can also see in 13.12 and 13.14 about the Antichrist receiving this mortal wound. And then we read in Revelation 11.7 when the two, fin uh, two witnesses, when they finish their testimony, when they're finished with their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, we're told, makes war against them, against the two witnesses. He makes war against them, and he overcomes them, and he kills them. And we know that God is going to raise up those two witnesses, a miracle of God in their presence. And God's going to do something in that, but the Antichrist is going to, in his armies, destroy these two witnesses. We read on that the beast that you saw, John, was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit. We're told that what the end of the Antichrist will be here in verse 8. It says he's going to go to perdition. Or he's going to go to destruction or ruin or punishment. That's going to be the end the Antichrist. We're told in Revelation chapter 19 verse 19, this is following the second coming of Jesus Christ. That John says, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies. They were all gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured. And with the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. And then look what it says. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. Clap. It's all right. Praise the Lord. These two were thrown into the lake burning with fire and brimstone. Their end. God's going to bring it to an end. It's okay to clap, by the way, when something spectacular is taking place. And those, verse 8, who dwell on the earth, we're told will marvel. They're going to marvel. Those who do not know Christ are going to marvel. 
whose names, look what it says, are not written in the book of life from the foundations of the world. When they see the beast that was and is not and yet is, even the earth dwellers are going to marvel. Those who are not written in the book of life from the foundations of the world. I hope you are. I hope you know the Lord as your Lord and Savior uh, this morning. When the Antichrist is resurrected, the false church, the unsaved people that are on this earth are going to marvel in amazement. Wrap your head around that. They're going to be amazed. They're going to be seduced. They're going to be tricked. And when I read that, it made me think of how sad it is that there are so many people in this world today that are not marveling at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here's the Antichrist being brought back, whether that's just a a trickery way or some way this Antichrist comes back to life after his mortal wound. The world is marveling at that. Yet they miss the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our Savior that came out of that tomb without a question. And ascended up into heaven. The angel says to John. The beast that was. Which is speaking of the days before his mortal wound. And is not the day that is speaking of his mortal being mortally wounded. And yet is, which is speaking about his deadly wound being healed. The angel goes on to preface what he's about to reveal about the seven heads and the ten horns. And it's going to require some wisdom, we're told, and understanding about it. We read a a similar verse in Revelation 13.8. It says, here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Wisdom and understanding of these things. Look at verse 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. Or... It could read to understand or a a mind of wisdom is needed in understanding this. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Some translations read hill instead of mountain. Now it's again, it's one of these things where you can find various interpretations. You can look up on Wikipedia how many cities have been founded on seven hills. And you'll find a whole list of all these various cities that have been founded on seven hills around the world. Here we see that the seven heads or the seven mountains are seven kingdoms. And so what we see in that is that mountains are seen in Scripture quite often as symbols of governments or kingdoms. 
And so I believe that what we're talking about here are governments and kingdoms. Here's a couple of examples. In Jeremiah 51, verse 25, it says, Behold, I am against you, speaking of Babylon. O destroying mountain, see how he's referred to as? O destroying mountain, who destroys all the earth, says the Lord. And I will stretch out my hand against you and roll you down from the rocks and make you a burnt mountain. Again, I believe we're talking about kingdoms and nations. In the book of Daniel, in his vision of the image, you remember this, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 35, uh, Daniel saw this vision, then the iron in that statue, then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were told that they were all crushed together and they became like chaff from the summer threshing floors and the wind carried them away so that there was no trace of them was found and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Again, we're talking about kingdoms and nations, I believe, even in this. In verse 10, we go on in our text. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, and I, I believe the five fallen here is making reference to the Egyptian empire, the Assyrians that followed that, the Babylonian Empire, the Medo-Persians that followed that, and the Grecian Empire that followed that. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, and then it says, and one is. Now what is the one is? Well, John is seeing this vision, he's receiving this vision, and in his time, it was present day Rome. It was the Roman Empire in John's day. One is. And then he goes on to receive this. And, and the other has not yet come. And so the other not yet come, I believe, is referring to the revived Roman Empire that is going to come under the leadership of the Antichrist during the tribulation period. The other has not yet come. It's future, John. It has not yet arrived. But it says, and when he comes, do you see that in your Bible? But when he comes, he must continue a short time. That short time is going to be probably for a three and a half year period of time, or even a seven year period of time for the whole of the tribulation period, the revived Roman Empire that is yet to come. Verse 11. Now the beast, or the Antichrist, that was and is not, is himself also the eighth, and is of the seven, and is going to perdition. Now the beast becomes the eighth. So seven kingdoms that are spoken of here, the beast becomes the eighth, which is not a new kingdom that's following because we have the, the Roman, revived Roman Empire during the tribulation period. It's not a new kingdom, but he now rules the seventh kingdom, which is the revived Roman Empire. So 
you're getting wisdom and understanding right now. What are these 10 kings? What are we reading of here? And that's what's important. Verse 12, the 10 horns which you saw, John, are 10 kings who have received no kingdom as yet. In other words, it's still future. But when they come, when these kingdoms come, they're going to receive authority for one hour as kings with who? With the beast. And so who's going to be overseeing these ten nations that are going to come in during the tribulation period? The Antichrist himself. We read the ten horns which you saw are ten kings. That's very clear, isn't it? Ten horns in the image that he saw. You might have a picture up there, I don't know. Ten horns that you saw on this image, John, are ten kings. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 41, remember when Daniel saw the image. And what did the image have at, the, at its feet? Ten toes, just like you and I. Ten toes on the image which speak of the ten kings who will rule the last revived Roman Empire. And keep in mind that neither John nor Daniel was given the identity of these kings. It didn't say that he gave them the identity of who they were. And so we don't know with certainty how the nations of the world that we're looking at right now, how they'll come together in a ten-nation confederacy that we call the revived Roman Empire. Are you okay with that? Not knowing exactly who the nations will be? But I can tell you that this ten-nation confederacy, the ten toes on Daniel's image, they're going to be of nations in our world that are going to probably amalgamate and become a ten-nation confederacy of nations. Now, if you look at the European Union today, it currently consists of 27 countries in the world. If you look at the Mediterranean Union, which consists of 16, you have 43 members right now in those two uh, unions of nations that have ruling power there in Europe. I believe that probably out of this group of nations that we're going to end up with ten toes. We're going to end up with a revived Roman Empire out of that. And it will be the Antichrist who will be the one that will oversee and rule over that ten-nation confederacy. Whoever these nations and kings may be, they were told they receive their authority for one hour, which is a way of saying it's going to be for a short time. It's going to be for a short time, and then God is going to intervene and bring an end. Verse 13, these kings were told, these ten kings are of one mind, and they will be given their power and authority to the beast. In other words, remember, I've talked about the one world government that'll be one world religious system, one world government, one world monetary system that'll all be headed up by the Antichrist by Revelation chapter 13. It'll be 
in during the tribulation period. It appears that from Daniel 7.24 that some at some point that these three of these kings, three of these ten kings are going to revolt. They're going to revolt against the beast. They're not going to be in agreement, in other words. And the beast is going to seek to put them down. These three opposing kings or kingdoms. We read in Daniel 7.24, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He's going to subdue them. We also are told in verse 14 in our text that these kings will make war with the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Jesus Christ. And the Lamb will do what? The Lamb will overcome them. Why will he be able to overcome? Because it says, for he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He's going to do what he's going to do. He's God, Lord of Lord and King of Kings. Amen? Amen. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. And I believe it's speaking of us, church. Those that are with him are called chosen and faithful. The church, by the way, has been given all of those names, chosen are called chosen and faithful. They're all attributed to believers, church age believers. We read in Revelation 19, 14, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, that speaks of the redeemed, they followed him on white horses. That's gonna be an awesome day. We're going to be following the Lord in that day at his return, at his second coming. We finish today in verses 15 to 18 with the angel telling John what the judgment of the harlot will be. Then he, the angel, said to me, John, the waters which you saw, John, were the har where the harlot sits, he tells us what it is here, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Isn't that pretty clear? He tells us what the waters are. The harlot that sits on the waters, seducing the world, right? These are the peoples, the multitudes, the nations, and the tongues. Very clear. All peoples of the world during that time. The harlot is having this great influence upon the peoples of the earth. There's going to be that one world religious system. I told you about the Islam and Hinduism and all those. All of these are going to, you take the Christians out of this, or you take the church out of this and let Satan have his way in it. I believe by the time that the Antichrist is in control and deceiving, I believe by the middle of the tribulation, you're going to have in full swing a one world religious system. That one world religious system is going to come to a point where the Antichrist is not going to allow the Jews to any longer worship in their temple, which he made a peace agreement with and said that you can do that. Now he's going to turn and he's going to say, you have to worship me as God. 
and not only the Jews, but anyone that really will survive. They must worship him as God. And if they take the mark of the beast, there is no hope. If they make their allegiance to the beast by taking the mark, there is no hope of salvation. The ten horns which you saw on the beast, verse 16, these kings, we're told, will hate the harlot. I shared last week there's going to come a point at which the Antichrist is going to turn on the harlot. The Antichrist, in other words, is going to turn against this false religious system that's in place. And it appears that this relationship that first exists in the beginning of the tribulation period, this religious system, the beast, the Antichrist, is going to change. It's probably going to happen in the middle of the tribulation period. These kings who are now in full allegiance to the Antichrist, they're going to find it that they have no need any longer for the false church. We're calling it the false church because it is. There's no need for the false church. The Antichrist will now be threatened by the false church. Why? Because that false religion is drawing people into their religion led by initially by the Antichrist. Now he's demanding that you must worship me as God. Now they've become a threat. Remember Rome? Remember that Rome catered to the Jews? They allowed the Jewish religion to exist side by side with Rome. But when the Jews became a threat to Rome, what did Rome do? They sought to kill them. They sought to wipe them out. Remember what happened in 70 AD when Titus and the Roman army came into Jerusalem. 1.3 million Jews were killed in that. And a thousand of them fled the city. You see, it is really a spiritual battle. There really is a spiritual battle with all the nations, all the king, everything that's going on. And even with this harlot, the seduction of the harlot, being over the many waters, and all that we're reading here, the ten kings that we read of in our text here, it's all spiritual. Who's in control, though, of the kings? God is in control of the kings of this world. There's nothing happening in our world right now. You look at Russia, you look at China, you look at North Korea, you look at who's in control of it. God will use them even as pawns. You read about it in the Old Testament. God will use the wicked nations of this earth to do his deals so that his purposes are accomplished. God will do that. God is sovereign. God is able to do that. And so as we read this, it's not a battle of who's going to win out in all this. Are the kings going to win out or is God? Is the Antichrist going to win in the end? No. It already tells us what his end will be. Verse 17, for God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast. And tell the words. Notice that it's God has put it into their hearts. Who's in control? God put it into their hearts to fulfill what? His purpose. 
God put it into the kings of this earth to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind, and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. Until the word of God are fulfilled. And then we close in verse 18. And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, which is Babylon the great. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be in Revelation chapter 18, and we're going to read in that chapter the fall of Babylon the great. Two whole chapters attributed to the harlotry of Babylon and now the fall. And God will bring it to an end never to be revived ever again. God's bringing it full circle. From Babel, Babylon in the end, he's bringing it full circle. We're done. It's over. Father, I thank you for the word of God that is clear to those who know you. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks truth into our hearts. And God, would you go before us this week. May a message like this stir our hearts to want to be a, a witness for you, to live holy, to live godly in front of the people we're around to be bold enough to open our mouth for you, to take even some of these cards that has been given out, that take them out and invite, compel people to come into your house, to hear about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the most glorious celebration for the church. Our Lord rose from the dead. He's alive and he's coming back. And Lord, may that be a, on the forefront of our hearts and minds this week. Stir our hearts, Lord. Pour out your spirit upon us this morning. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.